Well, I draw your attention to Hebrews chapter 12. We're not going to begin at verse 14. We're going to go back and begin at verse 3. And we're reading 3 through, if you will, 3 through uh, 11. The writer of Hebrews writes for us, Now consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. And shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but rather it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Lord, I come before you and asking that your spirits would dispose of me and that you would speak loudly to our hearts. I know, Lord, the words that I... So I ask for your strength. I ask for the people's endurance, for their patience, for their willingness to listen to your spirit as you speak this morning. It's your word, and obviously it is here for us to endure. Not to endure as a way of trying to swallow some kind of headstrong pill, but a word to endure in order that we can endure in order that we can understanding, in order that we can grow in the grace of the one who loves us so much. So I ask, O oh Father, for your strength this morning, that you would be honored and glorified. For it is in Christ's name we ask this. Amen. Before we begin in this passage, I need to give to you some definitions that we're going to come across in this passage. The first definition is the word discipline. 
When we think of that word, our minds automatically go back to being taken out to the woodshed. That not necessarily is always the situation. In fact, in my resources, it comes to say this. It's best understood to mean an admonishing or calling to soundness of mind or to self-control. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 speaks about, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul also writes for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, that we would put everything, every thought, bring captive and putting it under Jesus Christ. And so discipline, in other words, is the active working of God in the life of a believer in order to conform that believer into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. And we know that God's discipline is part of what we call sanctification. Sanctification, which means more than deliverance from sin... As one old-time Puritan put it this way, it means the deliberate commitment of oneself whom God has saved to God. That the one does not care what this process may cost. The old-time Puritans had a way of putting words and they didn't mix emotions. They just came out and said it. It's the process by which sin is eradicated from us. And the glory of Christ shines through us, sanctification. But when we get to chastisement, that carries with it a little bit heavier weight. Chastisement, if you will, on the other hand, is training and correcting of a child, including instructions suggesting the Christian discipline that regulates character. Chastisement. But also I want to give to you two other words, trials. And we think of those as being a negative thing, but in reality, James tells us that that's something that we should revel in. That's something that we should rejoice in. Because trials are meant for the purpose of drawing us toward God through Jesus Christ. The opposite of a trial is a temptation. And we read about that in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, was driven out into the wilderness and he met, if you will, the master of temptation, meaning Satan himself. And it was in those three experiences with Satan that Satan tried to draw Jesus away from God. That's what temptations do. They try to draw us away from God. James says, no way can God tempt you. That's not his character. But he can try you. He can discipline you. He can chastise you. And so with that in mind, we come to this passage that we've just previously read for you. And in reading of this passage, you can at least come to the beginning of understanding what is the author's intent What is he trying to warn? In fact, this is the fifth warning of the book of Hebrews. 
warnings, if you will, in such a way that don't go back to your former way of life. You might remember that. Don't be stiff-necked or hard-hearted. You might remember that. This is a particular warning because, if you will, the author is warning these people to not disregard nor, if you will, despise the discipline of God. In fact, as we continue our study this morning, the author is sure to remind us that God's discipline is not to produce in us desires, but to produce in us what is required for our growth in Jesus Christ. Especially in the realm of our walk of faith that was highlighted just in the previous chapter. And so also about reading this passage, you can come to at least understand a little bit of thinking that the audience, these first century Hebrew Christians are considering. Uh, The first thing that should strike you is the fact that they have forgotten something. It says, if you you will, draw your attention to verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? You've forgotten something. Well, what is it they have forgotten? Well, first of all, they have forgotten verse 3. They have forgotten to consider Jesus. They've lost sight of him. The author of Hebrews tells us in verse 3, For consider him in such hostility so that you won't grow heavy-hearted or weary. They have forgotten to consider him. Uh, They have, if you will, pushed that aside. They have, if you will, which leads us to the second sentence. You've got to continue to consider Jesus so that, the author says, you don't become weary, that you don't become faint-hearted, that you don't want to throw in the towel, that you don't want to give up. The author of Hebrews tells us, don't forget this. Now, oh, my people, there's often times, at least in my life, I think, maybe in yours, you might be more spiritual than me, but there are times when I feel like Peter in Matthew 14. I'm sinking. I'm trying to walk, and yet I get my eyes and attention onto the storms of life, and all of a sudden, I'm in, I'm in hot water up to my nostrils, and I'm wondering if I'm going to make it. And yet Jesus looks down and, and, and lifts it up. Why? Because I took my eyes off of him. So did they. So did you in our times of our lives. The writer of Hebrews said to these Christians, don't forget, still consider some of these glorious things. But we can also look at the verse that the author writes for us here. You can turn to it in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, or you can stay here and read it. It literally means the same thing. For the writer of Hebrews now sets the stage for the message I did not want to teach. And that is the discipline of God to his children. Notice what it says in in, in verse 5 and 6 of Hebrews 12. My son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or be weary when reproved by him. 
For the Lord disciples the one, disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. Oh. Well, what I've tried to do is to concise this as quickly as I can because I've got 15 minutes to preach to you for a half an hour. I've, I've come up with three C's and three P's. It might do you well if you have your scratch paper there, also known as a blank piece of paper to take notes if you wish. I'm going to give you the three C's first. And then we will get to the three P's in this passage. The first C is this. Don't be careless. Don't be careless. That we find in verse 5 when it says, Do not despise the chastening of the Lord or the discipline of the Lord. Don't look at the workings of God in your life in a haphazard way. Don't if you will, look, become indifferent. Don't take it too lightly, the author is saying. Because if you do, then you will miss out on what God is trying to develop in your life. Be careful, or don't be careless, I should say. One translator quotes it this way in the NIV, which... I comically call the nearly inspired version. It says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. It's not something to take lightly. We need to be careful to not view God's discipline as something that just blows in the wind. When we may even cry out to the Lord, well, whatever, God, it makes no difference to me. No. No. We dare not take such a careless one who would become numb to the things of God's discipline. The one who doesn't care about God. The one who not only doesn't care, but one who is undeterred in any way by God's discipline. It is here, my dear people, that the danger rises when we fail to recognize that the hand of God is working in our struggles as well as our time of successes. Indeed, it seems that God's hand is more obviously seen as his presence more clearly felt or experienced when it appears that the wheels are falling off, when the water is reaching to the, to the under or bottom of our nostrils, when life doesn't seem to be going too good, when darkness seems to be around us and all of a sudden we fall on the mercy of God. But yet, and so for example, the wonderful phrase of that hymn, like a river glorious, there's a phrase in that that we, we sing it, but I wonder if we even stop to consider it. For it says, for every, if you will, for, for every I need to find what I wrote. I can't even find what I wrote. Every joy or trial cometh from above. Traced upon our dial, our face, by the Son of Love. Now stop and think about that. We have no problem of singing every joy cometh from above. 
But will we really rather think about every trial that cometh from above, traced upon our face by the Son of Love? Isn't that what the author is communicating to us here this morning? Trials do come from God. And we dare not be careless of them. We dare not just scratch them off as being illegitimate. We dare not take them lightly. For God has for us a purpose. The author here is trying to remind these believers of this truth. Don't despise the discipline of our Father. The second C is don't be crushed by it. Don't be crushed, verse 5. It says also not to be weary when reproved by him. That word weary there literally means crushed. Don't be crushed by it. Here, my friend, is, is one that who caves in, overreacts, pushes back, rebels against the discipline of God. The tendency is to be weary and consumed by despondency at the hand of God. In fact, the very opposite is being, is being indifferent to the discipline of God is to be crushed by it. And here is one who may openly deny the truth of the word of God, especially during times of difficulty, overwhelmed by immense darkness of persecution or such, that this one begins to utter words of malcontent even toward the hand of God. You find them saying things like, I thought being a follower of Jesus Christ was not supposed to turn out like this. What have I done wrong to be treated like this? Why is God angry with me? We begin to speak as pagans who retort, if God is a God of love, then why has this happened to me? It's almost like we slap at the hand and the face of God when we desire to throw in the towel and walk away and and we begin to say, God, what have you done for me lately? And don't be careless. Don't be crushed. In fact, as stated prior to this point, these Christians had forgotten the words of encouragement, of exhortation that were penned for them as we read them in Proverbs chapter 3. They had forgotten well, we're not to be careless, nor are we to be crushed, but the last C is this. We need to be absolutely clear. Absolutely clear. For it says, again in verse 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. This chastisement is not an expression of God's indifference, but it is actually an expression of his affection for his children. For those who have trusted Jesus Christ by faith through grace need to be absolutely clear that God does not leave us alone unto ourselves. God's purpose for us 
and his affection for us are interwoven in such those areas of our life that we pursue that cause us to be directed away from God, those things that seem to, to stunt our spiritual growth, God intervenes to discipline us for the good of our lives and for the development of our spiritual life in order that we may determine to honor him. And this is done according to verse 6 because he immensely loves us. He intently loves us. He eternally loves us. Well, I finished the first three C's. Now if I may go to the three P's. The first one is and this is the one that we're going to struggle with, I know. It's a privilege to be disciplined by God. It's a privilege. Pastor Doug, come on, man. I know you're wearing blue jeans and you got this ugly looking shirt on. Have you lost your mind? Well, sometimes I wonder that. But the text tells us there's a privilege in it. A privilege that maybe we read quickly and we go over and we skim over and we don't take the time to consider it. But understand this, this privilege is this. God uses discipline in a sense in, in, in order to cure us. Cure us. Not, not from a disease, well, particularly from the sin disease, yes. But the word here is used in a sense of a piece of leather. A fresh piece of leather that you, you have to work at to shape it, to get it ready. When the process here is God's hand is on us. He's working in us. He's working through us. He's working for us. For the exact same purpose that he's designing us for something. When we were on vacation, we stopped at a place whereby I thought it was a good idea for me to buy a new wallet. My old wallet I have had for a good number of years. It was one that my youngest daughter coaxed me into buying when she was a representative for 31. I don't know if that means anything to you, but I was supposed to have a lifetime guarantee that if that wallet ever wore out, I could get another one for free. But guess what? They stopped making those wallets. <laughs> what good's that guarantee? So I thought it was a good reason for me to buy a new wallet. But when I got it, and when I began to transport or translate from my old wallet the things that are in there to my new wallet, I found out that the new wallet is, is really stiff and it's hard. It's, it's leather. I, I, it, 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 it's this one here. It's got the American flag on it and everything. But I had to take some time. I had to work at it. I had to stretch it. I had to mold it because I wanted that thing to sit in my back pocket so that it would be comfortable for, for it to be there. I wanted to conform it to my the image that I wanted. And that's the privilege of people being disciplined by God. His hands work on us. His hands work through us. His hands work in us. In order that, quite frankly, we begin to take on the patina of who he is in our lives. 
And, and isn't that what it says for us in verse 7? That it, that it says, for it is discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It's a privilege that God would take this time and to work his hands into us. And quite frankly, this runs contrary to all those, those individual preachers on the TV who claim that if you really want to know, if you really want the world to know how great your God is, you should have a brand new car every week. You should be able to have your own private jet. You should be able to be cured of any disease. But the writer of Hebrews goes totally different. The writer of Hebrews tells us that if you really want to know how great our God is, it's a privilege to be disciplined by him. It's a privilege to let him work in our lives, to mold us the way that he wants us to be. When these trials are sent our way, they're not sent in anger by God. They come as the immensity of his love for us in order that we may be trained by them. This word here is the same word that the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. When he warns father, when, fathers, when he says this, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up. There's our word, discipline them in training and admonition of the Lord. Get your hands on them. Work in them. Train them. Instruct them. Allow them to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so these Hebrew children, and Christians as, as well as us today, we may very well be thinking, well, if I am truly a child of God, why do I have to deal with this? If, if God truly does love me, why are these things happening to me? Well, in verse 8 of chapter 4, the book of Hebrews, or chapter 12 of Hebrews tells us, but if you went out chastening of which we've all become partakers, then you are illegitimate sons. You're illegitimate. During the times of the Roman Empire, illegitimate children had no rights whatsoever. They had no privileges. And these Hebrew Christians find themselves in a smack dab of that Roman Empire, and God is telling them, that if, if you're not disciplined by God, then you're no different than those urchins who are running around the streets causing all kinds of trouble. God doesn't allow for that. That's not his plan. We are aware, at least more of these days, that a child left to themselves will always gravitate toward those things which are harmful for them. It, it, it bothers me immensely that we, when we have a society that is forcing children to make decisions that they should not be making. Transgenderism is not for the child to decide. 
And yet, we as parents are pushed aside as if the school or as if our society thinks better. Psychologically, that is run contrary to God's word. And yet, we're the strange ones. The trials of God are not to leave us to ourselves. It's a privilege to be molded by him, to be equipped by him, to be strengthened by him, to literally take on, if you will, the fragrance of heaven from his hands as he works in our lives. The next one is this. The purpose of God's discipline. There's always a purpose. And I, and I must move swiftly. I apologize to the junior church people and to the Sunday school classes. I apologize to that. But I, I've got to get this because I'm not going to preach it next week. Uh, can I have your permission just to go just a little bit longer? I'll just lie to you again a lot longer. The purpose. What is God's purpose? Purpose. Well, the purpose of God's discipline is highlighted in contrast to the discipline of our earthly fathers. You'll notice in verse 10, first of all, that as fathers, our time of discipline and correction is only for a short time. It's not long, if you will. This particular describes for us the brevity that we have as parents and the influence of our children. The brevity of an earthly father where it says we only have a few days. I, I can't believe how quickly my children have grown up. I can't believe how quickly my grandchildren are growing up. It just seems like a few days ago that we were bringing him home from the hospital and keeping us awake at night. Wondering what two o'clock in the morning feedings are ever going to get over. And yet here they are now, having their own children. And my daughter giving to my wife a wonderful plaque that says, Mom, you were right. There's hope in that. But it describes for us that we only have a few days. This causes me, as I was writing this out, to go back a few years. And some of you are not going to remember this. You have no idea who Cat Stevens is. But he wrote a song concerning the cats in the cradle and the silver moon. Little boy blue. I see some, some lips that are moving. But that song describes, if you will, the, the life of a father who has no time for his son. Then all of a sudden, the father gets old and wants to spend time with the son. And the son says... Not now, Dad. I don't have time. But we'll get together again, Dad. I know we'll have a good time then. Our time as fathers is short. And, and then it talks about the fact that it is because we're not perfect. We make mistakes, don't we, Dads? I hope I'm not the only one. I remember one time we were at a Bible conference and I was to be the song leader and I was that, there that week to sing. 
And then I noticed that during one of the evening services, there was some carrying on going in the back with some teenagers, and, and one of my daughters was part of that. And after the service was over, I couldn't wait till the service was over, and the pastor said, amen. As soon as he said, amen, I turned around and went back there, and I scolded them. Thought myself to be pretty good until I got to our cabin when my wife said, honey, you made a mistake. You blew it. It was that same night that I had to get up and go over and apologize to my daughter. And then the next morning I had to go to apologize to one of the young men who was not involved with it at all. We make mistakes. But I'm here to tell you, dear people, God never makes a mistake. It's not a short time he has. He has eternity in mind. That's the purpose. That's the glorious purpose of God and his discipline in our lives. He doesn't leave us alone for a life of destruction because that's what we would choose. Can someone help me with an amen? That's what we would choose. We would always choose the easy way. We would always choose that. But lastly, if I may share with you, there's a product. The product of God's discipline. You'll notice in verses 11 through 13, verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but it ye later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. To all who are trained by it. The product of it, if you will, is that we would come to the eventual end of righteousness in our lives. It doesn't seem to be easy at the moment. I mean, uh, training camp for football teams has already started. And when you notice the last phrase of what it says, who have been trained by it, what a shameful thing it would be for a team to show up on a Sunday afternoon to pray a football game who all the players decided, I'm not going to run today in training. I'm not going to lift today. I'm going to go hide. I'm, I'm going I'm to walk away. I'm going to do my own things. I'll just wait for Sunday to play the game. What kind of opportunity do you think they would have on the field? Somewhat like my giants. It's, what kind of opportunity do they have in the field? It's because they haven't been trained by it. Training is difficult. Training causes pain. Training causes, if you will, hurts. We ache. And yet, in that training is how we understand what righteousness is. Living according to the way that God wants us to be. That's the product of it. But how shameful it is if maybe we come here sitting on a Sunday morning and we put on the uniform. We got the helmet. We, we sit down in the pews, get ready to go in the game, but yet we refuse the training. We hear the words, but we let them bounce off of us. It doesn't apply to me. That word is for somebody else. We come with pitchforks 
instead of shovels. We want to fork it back to somebody else instead of shoveling into ourselves. Isn't that what the author's getting at here? You can show up. You're going to be part of the game. But you won't know righteousness unless you're trained by it. Well, our time is gone. And I need to at least leave you with this one thought, and it's this. God never makes a mistake. He never is contrary to his word. What may seem to be arduous to our being, in reality, God deems it for our good. As difficult as this may seem to you at the time, remember, God has a purpose. And that purpose is for his children to reflect the glory of his son, Jesus Christ, in such a way that our arms won't dangle, that our knees won't shake, and that we will be able to walk worthy of the path that he has deemed for us. Verses 12 and 13. The question is, is this your desire? and the discipline of God. Let us pray. Holy Father, even though the words, O Lord God, are difficult to understand, but yet they're true, that your discipline for us is because you love us and you have a greater good in store. The training is difficult, it's arduous, The training is painful. The training is long. But the final goal is truly worth it all, for we will be able to walk strong in the path that you have determined us to go. So I pray that you would use your words for your glory and strengthen us, O Lord God, for your kingdom. And I praise you in your name. Amen.